0: In the year 937, the storm clouds of war were gathering over Britain. A decade earlier, King Athelstan, the grandson of Alfred the Great, and the first ruler to use the title King of the English, had completed the unification of England, and afterwards had looked outwards to subjugate the other kingdoms of Britain. In 927, he conquered York, the capital of the last Anglo-Scandinavian kingdom of Northumbria, and in doing so, he unified the modern borders of England for the first time ever. He fully subjugated Kent, Sussex, Essex, East Anglia, and most importantly, Mercia. He marched his armies into Cornwall to subdue the Britons there, and even forced the Five Kingdoms of Wales, always previously wild and unconquerable, into submission, forcing them to accept his overlordship. In 934, he sailed a large force, by sea as well as by land, up across the Scottish border, to do battle with Constantine II of Scotland, receiving his submission soon afterwards. Athelstan was the first English king to rule over a centralised, unified state, encompassing the entirety of the modern day nation we know today. He commanded a huge army, and one which for the first time was drawn from all the corners of the realm. Kentish men, Mercians, East Anglians, Britons, Northumbrians, and Danes all marched in his ranks and of course the men of Wessex, ever present in the heart of his forces. By 937, a reckoning was on the way. Olaf son, the Gaelic Scandinavian son of a claimant to the Northumbrian throne, and a powerful warlord in his own right, had spent the last few years gradually uniting all of the Danes and Norsemen of Ireland under his banner, along with men from the Isle of Man and all over the Scottish Isles. In doing so, Olaf had forged one of the largest Viking fleets ever assembled. 615 ships in all, if the sources at the time are to be believed. But he didn't stop there. The Britons and Celts of Wales, Scotland and Cornwall were always discontent with the newfound supremacy of England. The men from Wales, Cornwall, Scotland and Strathclyde all came together under the kings of Scotland and Strathclyde, Constantine and Owen, to unite in a last alliance against English domination. In the autumn of 937, the fleet landed somewhere in Northern England. Possibly by the river Humber in Northumbria, long a place of Scandinavian influence, and the buffer zone between the English South and the Viking North. On that day, a battle was fought, with all of those present knowing that the prize for the victor was England. Brunanburh, later simply known as the Great Battle, was certainly the largest of the Anglo-Saxon period, and included combatants from every far-flung corner of Britain and Ireland. Athelstan had been born back in 894, during the reign of his grandfather, Alfred the Great, the King of Wessex, who had laid the foundations for the unified Anglo-Saxon nation, which would be achieved by his children and grandchildren. During Alfred's reign, however, the English supremacy had been a far-flung ideal, far removed from the present, which had instead been marked by civil war and foreign invasion. At Eddington in 878, by the skin of his teeth, Alfred had brought the Anglo-Saxons back from the brink of total collapse and domination by a massive Danish invasion force which had swept through all of the other kingdoms besides his own. Prior to the coming of the Vikings, Mercia had been the old enemy of Wessex, and rivalries still ran deep between the two strongest of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. During his rule, Alfred was able to expertly play off Mercian ambitions against his own, and he laid the groundwork for the unification of the two nations. It was his son Edward the Elder who was able to conquer the Danish kingdom of East Anglia, and with it the smaller kingdoms of Essex, Sussex and Kent. He also, for the first time, began to be seen as overlord to the Welsh kingdoms, allegedly bringing them for the first time under the submission of the Anglo-Saxon kings. By the time of his death in July 924, just Northumbria in the north remained under full Scandinavian control. As the son of the king, Athelstan's youth would usually have been spent at the royal court alongside the noblemen of Wessex. However, as his father now had a new wife, and he was the child from the first marriage, he was probably raised with his aunt Ethelfled in Mercia. As primogeniture, or hereditary rule, had not yet been established in England by this time, boy kings being seen as a very bad idea, Athelstan was an atheling, a royal prince eligible for rule, however by no means actually guaranteed the throne. For example, Alfred had actually inherited the throne from his brother, Æthelred, whereas his brother's son, Æthelwold, not deemed old enough to rule, ended up living a life of great discontent, eventually rising up in a failed revolt during the time of Alfred's successor, Edward the Elder. The Chronicles suggest that Athelstan's half-brother, Elfward. May have been the Atheling deemed most worthy to rule, and was probably even crowned as king, although he died weeks later, leaving the 29 year old Athelstan as the best candidate. Probably already a seasoned battlefield commander, blooded from his aunt Aethelflaed's reconquest of Mercia, as a grown man, we know Athelstan was very pious, and likely very well educated in scholarly matters and in the ways of war. Nevertheless, his accession to the throne was not an easy one, and he encountered resistance throughout Wessex and Mercia, only being officially coronated in 925. He spent the first couple of years of his reign consolidating his rule, centralising his power over the other English kingdoms, and likely preparing his army for war. In 927, when King Citric of York died... Athelstan seized the opportunity and invaded the Anglo-Scandinavian Kingdom, likely with the support of the small Anglo-Saxon Kingdom of Benicia which lay to the north of York. Citric's cousin Guthrith sailed from Dublin at this time with a fleet to try and claim the throne for himself, but he was repelled by the English king. By 927, for the first time in history, a southern king now ruled over Northumbria, but Athelstan's power was so great that he didn't stop there. Later that year, he sailed with his fleet, and marched overland with his army, and accepted the submission of Constantine of Scotland, King Hualdar of the Welsh Kingdom of Daobarth, and Owen of Strathclyde. The North was at peace for the next seven years, but despite that, a clear line had been drawn between the Anglo-Saxon world, and that of the native Britain and Viking. For the first time in history, an English king ruled as overlord over the whole of Britain. In Northumbria, however, the a region where an alliance with the pagan Norsemen had always been deemed preferable to domination from the south, Athelstan's hold remained ever tenuous. The successes of Athelstan ushered in a period between 925 and 975, often referred to as the imperial phase of the Anglo-Saxon period. It was their golden age. Welsh and Scottish kings attended English court, alongside English earls, and great advances were made in lawmaking, education, the arts, and in centralising the state. Under Athelstan, a truly international monarch, who accepted into his court princes from all over Europe, to be fostered under one of the most successful kings of the age, seen by many as the inheritor to Charlemagne's imperial legacy. The newly formed Kingdom of England became one of the richest in the known world. The immense power that he wielded at this time is perhaps best exemplified in 934, when after some sort of a disagreement with the Scots, he marched north by land and by sea, to yet again force the submission of the Scottish King, accompanied this time by four Welsh kings and thirteen earls, six of whom were Danes from eastern England. It was a truly multi-ethnic force. Although Constantine was again forced to submit, discontent remained rife and the political situation in Britain was about to catastrophically come to a head. By 937, Olaf son, son of the defeated claimant to the Northumbrian throne, had defeated his rivals in the Norse parts of Ireland, and sought to reclaim the Kingdom of York for himself, along with his consolidated Viking army. He was too weak to take on Athelsan alone, but saw an opportunity arise in an alliance of convenience between himself and Constantine. Olaf married the Scottish King's daughter, and they were further joined by another rebellious under-king of Athelstan, Owen of Strathclyde. The army landed somewhere in friendly Northumbria in late 937, after the usual campaigning season had ended, taking Athelstan completely by surprise, who nevertheless hurriedly put his army together and prepared for the definitive moment of his career. Whilst the Welsh kings aren't mentioned as joining the rebellion, they didn't join Athelstan either this time, likely preferring to stand by and see who would come out on top. Men from almost every corner of the British Isles fought and died that day, men whose descendants one day would make up the population of Great Britain and Ireland. The battle was renowned for being one of the greatest to ever take place on British soil, and certainly the largest during this period. Athelstan eventually triumphed, although losses were heavy on both sides. The victory further cemented his position as Overlord of Britain, whereas Olaf escaped back to Dublin with the remnants of his forces. Despite the great importance attributed to the battle, where Englishness is said to have truly become a reality, upon Athelstan's death in 939, Olaf was able to return to York to claim the throne with ease. Although Athelstan's immediate successors would maintain control over England, never again would an Anglo-Saxon king claim overlordship over the rest of Britain. By the time of Ethelred the Unready's reign in the 970s, renewed tensions between Scandinavians and the English eventually led to the successful invasion of England by the Danish king, Swain Forkbeard, and later again under his son, Canute. These would be the first of many invasions, which culminated in the Norman Conquest of 1066, and the end of the Anglo-Saxon period. Athelstan, who never lost a battle, was undoubtedly the greatest of all of the Anglo-Saxon kings, and one of the greatest kings that England ever had. English kings wouldn't rule over the Welsh and Scottish again with such power until the time of the Plantagenets, centuries later. This is a brand new podcast, so if you like what you heard, the best way to help the show out is to leave a review on iTunes. This is the best way for new podcasts to grow, and for people to find the show. You can also find tons more historical material over on the History Time social media links. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you really like what you heard, and want to help me to keep making new podcasts, videos, and articles, then the best way to help is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash history time UK. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll help me to keep making material, get sneak previews of what I'm working on, and gain the opportunity to vote on upcoming videos and podcasts. I'm Pete Kelly, and you've been listening to History Time. See you on the next one.